Welcome to Vape Village, the podcast for the Victorian Association for the Teaching of English. My name's Ernest Price and I'm the Education Officer at Vape. I'd like to begin today by acknowledging that I'm recording on the lands of the Wurundjeri and Boomerang people of the Kulin Nations and to pay my respect to Elders past and present. I'd also like to extend a welcome to any First Nations listeners with us today. Earlier today I spoke with Sam Ellis from Virtual School Victoria. I was lucky enough to hear his thoughts on the phenomenon of interactive fiction, which is not as new as some of us would think. Sam shared some ideas about how it can be a really excellent tool for opening up young people's minds. Enjoy the discussion. Hello and welcome. This is Sam Ellis here joining us um, from Virtual School Victoria for today's issue of The Bait Village. How are you going, Sam? Oh, hi, Ernest. Uh, not bad. Uh, it's all going on, isn't it? It is. We've, we're aware you've got a child in the next room with a tenuous, a tenuous <laughs> nap situation. So. Yeah. As as with everyone, we're sort of coping with the uh, strange arrangements at the moment. Yes, um, yes. Sam actually reached out to me, um, which is fantastic. Please do that if you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, um, with a whole list of fantastic ideas. So I, I feel like we're going to be getting you back again, Sam. Um, but today we're going to focus on um, the question of interactive fiction. Um, and I'd really like to just start by asking, what is interactive fiction? What What does it look like? Yeah, well, everyone's actually familiar with it already because I think there'd be very few English teachers who hadn't played, uh, or I should say read, played a choose-your-own-adventure novel in the 80s um, or possibly, you know, one of those fighting fantasy novels. That they're, they're literally page-turners in the sense that you have to turn to different pages and then if you, if you had OCD or just even just mild anxiety, I should say, you would end up with your fingers in 10 different spots trying to keep track of the branching story diagram. And of course, that is a little bit uh, like, it's a lot like actually what happens when you're trying to write an IF because the bigger it gets, the more there is to keep track of. But they can be very short and very effective also. So, you know, fast forward from the paper world of the 80s to something uh, a little more modern. Well, it turns out that the scholarship on interactive fiction and sort of HTML text in general goes way back to almost the beginning of html scholars were on you know on arpanet playing around with it and um coming up with creative ways to use hypertext and so ever since the beginning of hypertext there's been people experimenting with it as an art form and as a narrative form and the obvious feature of html is its non-linearity so the dna of interactive fiction lies in the non-linearity of uh, HTML, but there are other ways to make them. But that's the simplest one because it's the native form of the internet and we want to publish these things when we make them and we want to see kids getting the satisfaction of seeing something being online. And, um, and there are lots of great tools out there to just sit down and just start writing without any need to understand what's going on behind the scenes um, under the bonnet um, really all you need is just a starting point for a story and then interactive fiction enables you to explore what might happen um, as well as create an experience in reverse for the person who's reading it later. 
And I noticed, I mean, you mentioned certainly the books from my youth, um, and I certainly, you know, you talked about OCD. I think for me, it was always about a control issue. I wanted to be out of control what was going to happen. Yes. Um, but yeah, <laughs> a real surge recently in um, these types of storytelling. I noticed on Netflix, um, the Netflix original series, um, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, recently had a um, sort of choose your own adventure episode, um, which keeps popping up in my feed um, because I watched it once through. Um, making certain choices and obviously it sort of doesn't think I've watched it because you can go back and, and repeat that viewing experience. So I think obviously alongside the online platforms that young people can use, I think there's been a bit of a resurgence in this form of storytelling. Um, Absolutely. Exciting. I know with um, one of my year seven classes a couple of years ago, I used Twine, which is one of the platforms, um, open source platform that's available. Um, really, um, I mean, it's a bit buggy because it's open source, but um, it's kind of idiot proof um, for those yes. features like myself who weren't necessarily that confident um, in the use of HTML and things like that. As you mentioned, you know, you don't need to know what's going on under the bonnet. But I found it really fascinating to talk. I had a particular section of students in that class who were probably reading at about a year two or three level um, and nothing had really engaged them um, throughout the year. Um, until we got to this unit and sort of talking to them afterwards, I mean, you've already alluded to a range of the attractions for young people um, in terms of, I guess, the gamification in some senses of that task. You know, these are young people, these particular students who were really engaged with gaming and other sorts of things, and this was a connection to that. Um, but I think also it made them think in a way that I hadn't been able to up until that point in the year about the fact that authors make choices. Yes. So, sort of when we get to a senior year level and we're asking students to use um, meta language to talk about um, decision making of authors and directors and things like that, this, particularly in a junior middle year sense, I think is a really beautiful starting point for that because the penny sort of dropped for these students about the fact that there isn't just one story, they're yes. actually making choices about the story. That's exactly so I thought right. it was fascinating from that perspective. Yeah, well, if you'd like me to jump off from there, it's, um, well, I think, Ernest, you've done a really good job of making the entire sales pitch, I think, for interactive fiction <laughs> is, is, is right there. Um, so I can, I can echo everything you've said about how it plays out in the classroom, particularly, um, I can comment more on middle years. Mm. And I think that it is superb for any student, wherever they are at. So it is self-differentiated. Mm. So that's a marvellous thing because it takes a lot of pressure off teachers. Also, it means that teachers can focus more on the truly pleasurable thing in English, I think, which is helping students find their voice and, um, you know, simultaneously combating low literacy or writer's block or things like that. So I won't say that I had no students with writer's block with interactive fiction, but I think that it certainly help to cut it down a lot and uh, present them, as you say, with the meta textuality of everything. Um, so, you know, like I said, it was pointed out way back in 1990 that postmodernity as a theory kind of predated the internet, but not by much. And then the internet came along and kind of reified all of the discourse in postmodernity, which was about collapsing high and low and about non-linearity and about disrupting the position of the author and the audience and, and on and on and on. The consequences are many and vast. Fast forward to today, the kids have grown up in that hypertextual, metatextual world and we're 
you know, I don't want to get too political, but we're still trying to hit them with fairly traditional uh, narrative forms for the most part. And, um, and also the points of entry into their own expression, um, uh, we tend to still limit ourselves a lot in that area. I think as English teachers, and I'm not saying I, I'm some giant revolutionary. I, I've not really pushed the, the ball that much further down the road. And I think that my point very much is the second you realize that twinery is very easy to use and that you, you don't have to be any sort of whiz at all or have any kind of radical pedagogy, just start and you will find all the incredible things that follow. And it's, it's worth noting that there's a thriving IF community on the internet. Um, beware, lots of adult content there as well. Um, the Interactive Fiction Database has millions of items in it. Um, and the annual Interactive Fiction Competition has mostly family-friendly content. Um, and that's always a good starting point. Grab a few titles from there. Um, but you'll, there's a, it's worth noting that there is a strongly therapeutic undercurrent to IF that a lot of people are writing their, they're writing their therapy in IF at all ages, old and young. And I very much saw that in what my students produced. And so for some of them, it, it was dealing with very personal themes and for others, it was perhaps less personal, it was more abstracted, but they were coming to grips with something personal in the sense that, this was the first time they actually felt they could write more freely. And, you know, uh, the student with tremendous talent I'm thinking of who really probably sets too much of an expectation for herself and will probably make a great novelist one day, but she has to get past herself first. And um, Twinery was a really great tool for her to do that because she started branching the novel in, well, I said novel, I'm giving the, I'm giving the joke, I'm giving the punchline away here what she eventually realized was that she was writing a novel, but that she had started in interactive fiction and was exploring a few different branches. And then she said, well, I actually don't really like that other branch anymore. And I just want to pursue this one now. And I actually don't have, I don't want to take this branch in several other directions. And I said, well, it sounds like you have found your novel then. So this is the start of it and just continue from here. You can keep writing in twine, um, because you may discover you do want to branch off again at a later date. But if you want to linear, linearize this, that's okay too. Um, <laughs> because maybe that's the creative choice that should be made here. And it's worth noting, it's not just at senior levels where that metatextual discourse needs to happen. Vicar very much stressed that in the middle years of English as well, that students need to um, be aware and explain the ways that authors or text creators make choices. So it's there in, it's there in the uh, lower years uh, English as well, because it's proven Vicar have, you know, produced a good curriculum. I think it's proven that talking about texts in that way really works. And so that's why we should do it. And, but as you've pointed out, nothing brings across the, the idea of authorial choice more than interactive fiction. It really just makes it literal and metaphorical at the same time. And uh, yeah, well, so that's why we're both big fans, I guess. Absolutely. And I think you, you spoke about the, the level of fun that, that students can have with this as well. I think picking up on one of the things um, that you just mentioned that I hadn't really thought about before, I think 
for those students who have a sort of social justice um, lens that they come to us with. And, you know, I think that's happening more and more um, in the climate in which we're living at the moment. Um, there are ways for them to use interactive fiction to kind of puzzle out some of those bigger picture yes. social issues as well, which I haven't really thought um, explicitly about before. Um, you also touched on, I think, one of the um, I guess real conundrums that English teachers often face, which is how to get students to effectively um, collaborate or to, to peer review or peer edit work. Yes. And I think something like interactive fiction where essentially, you know, they can play each other's stories um, really change that dynamic in the class for me um, around students wanting to, rather than I have to seek this off as part of a process, but actually wanting yes. to work. Yeah, no, I would 100% agree. And I'm looking forward to this year when we get to the interactive fiction module. Oh, I keep saying to myself, why don't I just start now? <clears throat> um, instead of waiting till that moment when it comes up later in the year. In the, the, you know, the, the modules we use at BSV, are, you know, they're not necessarily linear, but they are arranged in a sequence and we could do something else, but we tend not to. And we're, we're, we're on a timetable the way everyone else is in a way. And it is tempting to just sort of go through it in that way but i have already told several students this year by the way there's this other thing use that in your own time and you're going to have a lot of fun with that later so to your point of getting them to conference and um, enjoy each other's work a lot more um, you can occasionally interest them in each other's short stories and poetry and i have had some success with that but you're right um, satisfying that requirement that they talk about texts and evaluate texts and so on that can be satisfied by them doing it on each other's texts and not just on canonical ones and moreover it can be a fairly immediate process it doesn't you know they can immediately begin playing each other's games you know more, more almost in the first session and they can start to give formative feedback early on in the writing because to get back to that post-modernity thing it this ought to be, I think, a little bit more of a push and pull type process than the, the splendid authorial isolation, you know, the world awaits the, the word of genius. It's like, as anyone who plays games can tell you, it's a highly contested process and um, gamers are extremely vocal with game producers about what they want and um, will absolutely tear them a new one if they think they've not delivered what is they think is canonical. Um, you know, like sort of Doctor Who fans, but even worse. And um, and they will um, make it clear that the company needs to patch this game and fix it, you know, in the following ways. And not just technical bugs, it'll often be, well, this whole thing here is misconceived. It's meant to be more like this. So in that spirit, that sort of democratic and robust spirit, the kids can play each other's games and go, well, frankly, it started off well, but it got boring and the choices weren't meaningful. And that's good feedback. And that's what you need to hear when you're making a game. Make the choices meaningful. Don't just put people on tracks to an inevitable conclusion. Um, the choices need to have consequences. There's a whole body of work on this. Choice design. So the choices need to have impact on the way the story plays out. So don't be afraid of just putting a few in, but making them meaningful. Um, and there needs to be some clues as to what will happen, but not too many. Um, so 
it's a balance between you know being able to predict it too much and not being able to predict it at all so it's all about finding that happy medium between all of these contesting qualities that the story can possess and the best way to do that and to be successful is to play test and and then they will want to give feedback to each other and they will want to solicit that feedback and so that makes you know the whole process as you say much more fun and less dutiful of let's sit down and read each other's stories now. And the, the great thing about IF and, you know, twinery is that um, when you start out with a short story, let's just say we've all had this moment where, Oh God, this is really long <laughs> and I have to read all of this. And the students feel that way too. But with IF that's all hidden. And you don't know on the front screen how deep this thing goes. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes they promise to go very deep and then they don't. And sometimes they look rather shallow, but then they, they take you places. And so um, IF is all about um, concealment and surprise uh, um, among other things. And so I think it's more motivating text to read because you're not, you're not assessing how much you've still got to go because you don't know. Um, and so it tricks you into keeping on going. And so it's good for reluctant readers and it's good for reluctant writers because there's a sense of completion with every segment you produce. There's a concrete achievement there. Absolutely. And yeah. Which, so that's just one of the many virtues. Yeah. Absolutely. And that brings us right back around to the excellent point you made earlier about the sort of way that differentiation is embedded um, in units of work like this. Look, I think we could talk about this all day. I think that's a really great place and we've given people some places to go to look for some of both the scholarship but also the practical um, the practical um, elements that they might like to start incorporating. And um, I think we'll definitely have you back, Sam, to talk some more either about this particularly um, or also some of the other um, experimentation that you have uh, undertaken with your colleagues at BSV. We're so grateful for Virtual School Victoria uh, this year. I think everyone's... People who didn't know about VSV before <laughs> certainly learned our remote teaching experiments. Um, yeah, thank you right. so much, Sam, um, for, for talking with us today, and we'll, we'll hear from you again soon. Uh, it's a pleasure, Ernest. I'm an absolute nutter for this stuff. So, yeah, that's right. Let's chat anytime. Thanks. <laughs> thank you. Uh, thank you, Ernest. Thank you so much, Sam, for sharing your time and enthusiasm, not to mention your expertise. We'd love to hear about your efforts out there in the Vape Village at trialling interactive fiction with the young people you have in your classrooms. I can't believe it's only just the end of Term 2. We'd love to have some more guests on the podcast moving into Term 3. Who knows what Term 3 will bring? Uh, If you'd like to be involved in the podcast, get in touch with me. Uh, My email address is educationofficer at vape.org. .au. Keep an eye out. Um, we are also about to call for presenters for our state conference. The conference will be happening a little bit differently this year, but we'd still love to have you involved. Please rate, review and subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening. Uh, reach out to us on social media. We'd really love to hear from you. Uh, we'll look forward to working with you in whatever ways Term 3 brings for us. Please stay safe.